0: You may be seated. And if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. You'll need to have your Bible open today because I was only able to fit seven verses on your outline that's in your bulletin. Um, but we'll be looking at the entire chapter as an introduction to Proverbs. About a month ago, I asked the elders in our meeting what uh, they believe I should be preaching on next. And I love to get their input on things. Uh, as you know, with uh, my schedule in preaching, I'm usually, on average, a, once a month, and so that requires a, a sermon series that fits into pockets instead of maybe one long, uh, drawn-out thing. So, when I got a recommendation that I look at the wisdom literature and Proverbs in particular, I thought, this is perfect. This should be just, uh, just right. But then I wondered if the elder was implying, I need more wisdom, so you ought to get into the book of Proverbs. But I am the pastor with more gray hair than anyone else, so maybe that just, only being two months older, means uh, nothing much, I guess. So, the book of Proverbs, a, a bit of introduction as far as the, the text, uh, the 31 chapters of this book of Solomon has… Uh, this book of uh, Proverbs, has the inscription, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. And so, it seems to us that Solomon is the author, but we're also going to see that throughout the book, there are additional uh, composers in this book that are accounted for. And we know, however, about King Solomon as David's son. He was given a special gift of wisdom from God that he asked for, and in 1 Kings 4, we read that he composed 3,000 proverbs, and his songs number 1,005, he spoke of trees, from cedar that is in Lebanon, to hyssop that grows out of the wall, he spoke also of beasts, and of birds, and of reptiles, and of fish, and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and from all the kings of the earth who heard of his wisdom." And so, Solomon touched on many different subjects. Uh, Solomon was sought out by people throughout the known world for being a person of wisdom. And so, it's evident his words were collected together. And in addition to Solomon's words, we have a section in the book of Proverbs that's generically called the Sayings of the Wise, chapters 22 through 24. And then we have sayings of Agur in chapter 30, and then the sayings of King Lemuel in chapter 31. And so, Proverbs seems to be a compilation primarily of Solomon's writings, but also other composers as well. And as Tremper Longman says in his introduction, it seems likely that the composition of Proverbs, like the composition of the book of Psalms, took place over a long period of time before it finally came to a close and no more Proverbs were added. And as I've looked at the authorship and the the dating of this, it seems most likely that usually uh, scholars place this between nine seventy one the time of Solomon's rule, to five eighty six, the end of Hezekiah's rule, during that time period, the proverbs were probably composed and then compiled over the Persian period around five forty to three thirty two b c Well, all of that said. What we see in the structure of this book is nine chapters of speeches, and those are going to be easy for us to go through as kind of chunks of thought that all fit together, those speeches that are given, Solomon's Solomon's speeches. But then when we get through chapters 10 through the end of the book, there are just various sayings all put together, and it doesn't seem like one verse can even follow the next verse in the variety of subjects that they cover. So, we'll take those sections of the book of Proverbs thematically and topically, and we'll be looking at wise use of money, wise use of the tongue, wise wisdom as it relates to uh, a variety of subjects as we go through this book. But without further ado, let's look at and read through uh, Proverbs chapter 1. Follow along as I read. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. "'Wisdom cries in the street, in the markets she raises her voice. "'At the head of the noisy streets she cries out, "'at the entrance of the city gates she speaks. "'How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? "'How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, "'and fools hate knowledge? "'If you turn at my reproof, behold, "'I will pour out my spirit to you. "'I will make my words known to you. "'Because I have called and you have refused to listen, "'have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded.' Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of all their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Let's pray together. Holy God, we thank you for your inspired and inerrant and infallible Word, we thank You for the truth that reveals to us the lies that we believe, that sheds light on our lives so that we can see clearly. Lord, we thank You that Your Word is a mirror that we can look into and see where we don't measure up and we need to change. We thank You for the grace of making us aware of our shortcomings and then also the pathway for right living. Lord, we thank You for Your grace, for Your mercy, for Your great salvation that makes change and growth and godliness a reality in our lives. We thank You for such a great salvation that we have that is by grace through faith alone, and we thank You for the way in which we can live that faith out in day-by-day day godliness and growth. We pray that You would work that in us through the power of Your Spirit, at work in Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, in doing some research for this sermon series, I've tried to look up um, different preachers that I know that might have preached through the book of Proverbs, and really there isn't a whole lot out there that I could find of people just preaching through the book of Proverbs. You'll find a lot of places where there'll be devotionals or devotional thoughts that are built on a variety of Proverbs and sayings, uh, but it doesn't seem that there is as much material on Proverbs as, say, one of the Gospels or on Genesis or some other book of the Bible. And as I was considering why this is the case, I, I read something that Rob Rayburn wrote about the book of Proverbs, and he said this see, see if you agree with him. For some in our circles today, the book of Proverbs has fallen on hard times, at least so far as the subject of Christian preaching is concerned, in some large part because the focus of this book is on behavior, not on the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something of a modern movement both in Reformed Church and in some segments of evangelicalism that have come to abominate the preaching of ethics or of right behavior. The fear is that any concentration on our behavior inevitably undermines the believer's reliance on the work of Christ. Attention to our behavior, or so it's thought, Must undermine our conviction that our salvation rests alone on Christ's behavior, His work, and His accomplishment. The point is, put in various ways to be sure, but however we put the results, is that many Christians today are getting much less preaching instructing them how they are to live their lives day by day than they used to. Look, I don't want to preach moralism. Change this behavior in your life. For you to be more accepted by God. Every religion in the world says, do this and you'll be right with God. But Christianity says, Jesus has done this and you are right with God, so now you can do this. You can live out obedience and godliness. And so, a proper understanding of the book of Proverbs can be such a, such a tool and such an aid for us to grow in godliness. Proverbs properly preached and properly practiced is vital to godly living in this world. Today, I hope as we introduce this book of Proverbs, I hope to ground the ancient wisdom of Proverbs in the gospel-saturated fear of the Lord. And once we have that beginning foundation set of the relationship with God through Christ, through the fear of the Lord, then we can start and begin to live out that wisdom with the fear of the Lord in place, that's the key to unlocking the power of Proverbs in modern times. You know, the world has a lot to say about what uh, intelligence is about. In fact, uh, most recently I've been reading articles not about uh, IQ but about EQ, about our emotional intelligence and how uh, leadership and um, places of training future leaders are focusing in on how our emotions factor into making right decisions and responding to people. And and I think all that's, that's well and good, but the foundation is lacking in the starting place of a divine revelation of God's Word on the matter. And I think really what we have in Proverbs is not just about IQ improvement, but it is about growing in the fear of the Lord so that you can live wise and productively. Uh, Why should we learn the Proverbs is really laid out for us by Solomon in those first few verses after the title in verse 1, we see in verses 2 through 6 just a litany of why the Proverbs are so important. Why should we attempt to and put our hearts to studying this book? to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and wise dealing. Here we hear the vocabulary of wisdom. There's wisdom, there's instruction, there's words of insight, there's instruction and wise dealing. Um, You can probably see this from your seat because I use all sorts of colors to connect different words and thoughts and themes with each other. There's really no rhyme or reason that you would probably pick up on, but it makes sense to me, so that's why I do it. And as I collected together how these words and thoughts fit together, Solomon puts together just this litany of what the Proverbs is about, what it's good for, and it starts off with these concepts, the concept of wisdom, the concept of instruction, the words of insight, of wise dealing, and each of these Hebrew words have another flavor, another facet of wisdom that is important for us to to catch. But without getting into all the details of each Hebrew word, what we can walk away with is He's just stacking up all the things that the book of Proverbs is for. It's, it's not just a, a simple how-to book. It is very robust. It's full, and it has a lot of value for us. And it comes in giving us wisdom. Um, it, it really helps us in everyday life. It's not just about Knowledge. I think somebody said that knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put it in fruit salad, right? Because just sheer information and knowledge doesn't always make life the way you want it to be or should be. I heard a couple uh, definitions of wisdom. One scholar said, wisdom is viewing, understanding, and living life according to God's standard. Another one said, wisdom is the skill of living well, the practical how know-how that enables a person to live a godly life in a world of sin and temptation, the capacity to bring life to life, the ideal of biblical godliness, how to get by in life. And in Proverbs 1 verse 3, we see that we receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. It's, it's more than just a, a personal wisdom, that wisdom applied in our personal lives has an effect on our communities and on our society and on our culture so that there is righteousness in our dealings with one another. There is justice that is done and equity, these broader terms that are beyond just the the morals of right and wrong to how does wise living transform and affect our culture as well. The different forms, uh, the different things that uh, wisdom produces in our lives, or what, what are the gleanings or the fruit of wisdom in our lives. You see in verse 4 and verse 5, it gives prudence, it gives knowledge, it gives discretion, an increase in learning and obtaining of guidance. We need all those things. And the Solomon makes clear that His audience is not just uh, one type of person. All sorts of people can benefit from looking at the book of Proverbs. You see, in in verse uh, 4, he says it gives prudence to the simple. Those are the people that are novices, usually young people that don't have a lot of life experience. First, being introduced to the wise words of Solomon to give knowledge and discretion to youth. But there's also those, in verse 5, those who are already wise. They can still hear and increase in learning. The one who understands can still obtain guidance wherever you're at right now. Whether you're new to Christianity, young in age or maturity, or whether you've been around the block a few times and you have some accumulated knowledge and wisdom, there is a lot to be gleaned from the book of Proverbs for us, and we should apply our hearts to studying it. We all have something to learn. Well, if that's why to learn Proverbs, there's so much in it, so much value to it for all sorts of people, we can ask ourselves in verse 7, how are we to live the Proverbs? This is the motto of the book of Proverbs. This is the, the guiding principle as we walk through the entire book of Proverbs. If you don't get Proverbs 1-7, you don't get the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I want to work backwards through that first phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The knowledge is what's, what's going to come, but what has to happen at the beginning? the fear of the Lord. What does it mean that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of this knowledge? It could mean beginning in the sense of chronologically, the first thing that you need before you go on to find knowledge is the fear of the Lord. It could mean the principal thing, the, the main thing, or it could mean the, the chief thing. I like how Bruce Waltke put it in his introduction to the book of Proverbs. He says, what the alphabet is to reading what notes on the scale are to reading music, what numerals are to mathematics, the fear of the Lord is to the revealed knowledge of this book. You're not going to get literature, if you don't understand how letters work and make words and phrases and sentences, you're not going to understand beautiful music that's played unless you have the building blocks of the reading notes. My wife, teaching piano lessons, drills all the time with those flashcards. What note is this? What note is that? If you don't have the basics, the foundationals, the the first things, the beautiful, complicated, and glorious things don't, don't make sense. The fear of the Lord has to be the starting point for us to make sense of this book. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Right? That's that's in line with the second phrase here. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Yeah, because they say in their heart, no God, or there is no God. But if we're going to rightly understand Proverbs, we start with the fear of the Lord, That's the beginning. Well, who are we to fear? The word that you'll see in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is a translation of the Hebrew word um, Yahweh or Jehovah. It's the covenant name for God. It's not the generic name of uh, a master or of God, Elohim, but it is the personal covenant-keeping name of Yahweh this is who God revealed Himself to be to Moses, to Abraham before that. And in fact, this is the God of the Old Testament. And the God of the Old Testament is a triune God. The God of the Old Testament. Is not different than Jesus. Sometimes we get into this misunderstanding that the Old Testament God was a God of wrath and judgment and harshness. The God of the New Testament revealed in Jesus, he's tender and is loving and is kind. But that's just a misunderstanding of what's actually revealed to us in the Bible about God. In fact, we've come through this Advent season considering Jesus from John chapter 1 beginning at verse 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god he was in the beginning with god and all things were made through him and without him was not anything that was made that was made he became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son of the father full of grace and truth jesus in the old testament he was there from the beginning the Worker of creation. What we read in our affirmation of faith from Psalm 2 the Lord says to my Lord, and the scepter being given to this king, this Lord, it's Jesus. In Luke 24, I'll get to preach this next week at the Lee Summit church plant. We're working through that book, and this is after the resurrection of Jesus. He comes across these disciples on the road to Emmaus, and what does he do with them? Luke 24, 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Those scriptures of the Old Testament. It's about Jesus. Jude 5. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. Very specifically, Jesus is the one in the Old Testament who rescued the people of Israel, 1 Corinthians ten three, And these Israelites all ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Kind of belaboring the point because this is the beginning. This is the foundation. And for us to know how to live wisely, productively in this world and where obedience and godliness and holiness and righteousness in our behavior fits, we have to understand first where Christ fits in our life. It's out of a relationship with God that begins with a fear and ends with a fear. At first, it ought to begin with a fear that I'm not holy, I'm not righteous, I don't measure up, and so I deserve His wrath and judgment. It's a fear and terror that Hell is waiting for me because I am not right. But it can grow into a healthy reverence and awe and respect for this God sent his only Son to be our sin bearer and went to the cross and took that wrath and curse so that I could be reconciled and restored. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And how this plays out in The rest of the scriptures, where we see and properly understand God for who He is, it's so important. Look, we are very watered down and influenced by the way that our modern culture looks at the God of the Bible. And it twists and diminishes a right understanding of the wisdom that should flow from knowing this God, fearing this God. And so, if we don't get that right, we're lost on this maze. And so, I want us to grow in the fear of the Lord. I want us to know what it means to fear the Lord properly. How do you do that? Some practical ways. Understand who the Creator is. To meditate on who the Creator is, am I amazed and humbled? O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. This majestic God made You a little lower than the angels. This majestic and mighty God created you, but you are not even on His level. He is uncreated. You are created. Putting us in our proper place gives us a right starting point for growing in wisdom. Psalm 33, 8 says, Let the fear of the Lord, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Do you see the Lord... As the Holy One, like Isaiah did in Isaiah chapter 6, when in the throne room of heaven he saw him in all of his glory and the seraphim crying out, Holy, Holy, Holy. And he fell down on his face and says, Woe is me, for I am undone. If looking at the God of the Bible doesn't bring you to the point where I'm undone, I don't belong, I'm not on the same level or close to the same level as this God, then you're not seeing rightly the God of the Bible. We understand Him as the mighty sovereign Master. He's in charge. We're not. He's the King of the kingdoms of the earth. I'm not the King over my little kingdom that gets to do what I want to do. I think sometimes we look at the Proverbs in our own pride, and say, those might be helpful tidbits for how to improve on things, but as a general rule, I kind of got this. I got life. I can handle what comes my way. But when we're grounded in the fear of the Lord, we say, I am lost, and I am helpless, and I lack wisdom, and I so need this God to give me the wisdom. He's the judge of the earth, Am I living as one who will stand before the judge of the earth? Jesus says in Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but can kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's speaking of himself, a proper fear. Of the Lord, and When you look at the book of Revelation, we always get captured and, and kind of sidetracked by all the timing of the events of when this and that and trumpet and bowl. But if we take some time just to focus and meditate on who is Jesus in the book of Revelation, our growth in the fear of the Lord will just skyrocket. Je- Revelation 1, John says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and I turned and saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands. One like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. His right hand held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. This is the God to fear. Start there and wisdom will come. Proverbs itself says how valuable the fear of the Lord is. In three places, he says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. And in Proverbs twenty-five fourteen, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him and He makes known to them His covenant. What's the application here? If we're going to start studying the book of Proverbs and gain its wisdom, we need to begin with the fear of the Lord. We need to get back to meditating on the God of Scripture. Look at God's encounter with people in the Bible. Look at when God introduces Himself to Jacob, to Moses, to Elijah, to Isaiah, to Job, to John study the miracles and the wonders of Jesus, what He did. And look at the miracles throughout the Old Testament, the creation, the flood, the exodus, the giving of the law on the Mount Sinai, even Jesus' transfiguration, His miracles, His casting out of demons. Meditate on who God reveals Himself to be instead of my God and the God of this age. In Colossians chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 2, Paul warns us that see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. There's plenty of wrong messages about God. Let us focus on who He is and grow in that. Okay, so if we know how to live out the Proverbs, then what's the first admonition we get? in verses 8 through 19, Solomon focuses in on avoiding bad company. Well, if you're going to hear good counsel from fathers and mothers, then you've got to understand that there's going to be people that are going to be giving you bad counsel, and you need to know how to avoid bad company. What's interesting, in verses 8 and 9, uh, in verse 8, we hear that we are to listen to the warning of your father and your mother. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. There's benefit to them. They're, they're graceful garland around your head and pendants around your neck. Now, I don't know about you young people, how many of you think that, oh, when I hear my dad talk and my mom give me instruction, boy, that's just so beautiful, it's so glorious, I look so wonderful. It's hard to kind of swallow that Sometimes, But the truth is, even as we see a father's instruction and a mother's teaching, uh, those are given as what they consider is is best and what will be good for a son or a daughter. Uh, The other wisdom literature of the time in the Egyptian, Phoenician, the Persian nations around at the time uh, would really never mention a mother's teaching. I think the Bible, uh, the Scriptures here in Proverbs, elevate the role of a mother and of a woman to be able to give teaching and instruction along with the Father. My son, verse 10, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So, what are they going to do? They're going to try and win you over with their words. So, be careful. Verse 11 says, if they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood, let us ambush, ambush the innocent without reason careful when they speak. When they open their mouth, they're going to have some scam that they want you to be a part of. Don't walk in their company. Look down to verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. So, they're going to present their plan, but then they're going to want you to come along. Put, your, uh, put in with us. We'll carry one person. You can benefit from this too. And then finally, don't, don't learn their mindset and their motivation. it's kind of revealed as we get to verse 19, such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. There's so much care that has to be had in how we surround ourselves with people. We start to take on the character of the people that are around us. Now, the Proverbs are general wisdom for us in how to approach life. It's not a specific rule that's going to answer every single circumstance. So, there are times where Jesus was eating with sinners. Does that mean that He violated Proverbs? No, it meant that in that time, in that circumstances, He was being an influence on them, not the sinners on Him. So, let's just be honest. Are you at a point in your Christian walk and maturity whether you're a young person or old, that the people you're surrounded with are being affected by you or you're being affected by them. That's wisdom in knowing how to apply these pe- specific warnings about avoiding bad company to, in a proper way to the right circumstances. Now, look at wisdom's cry. In verses 20 through 33, we see that wisdom is personified. and We'll pick this up again in chapter 8 in that speech in which we see wisdom given more personal or human characteristics. Uh, Some have made comparisons to this being Christ personified. Don't ignore wisdom's cry. In fact, verse 20, wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of city gates, she speaks. I think one application of this is that the wisdom of God's Word isn't just for the four walls of the church where you learn church stuff in church about being churchy. This is to be lived out in the world, out in the streets, out in the marketplaces. Wisdom is to be lived out in all of our lives. And who is this wisdom to go to? Well, another variety of people in verse 22. There are simple ones, there are scoffers, and there are fools. And they're going to hear wisdom crying out, and they're going to have different reactions to it based on their heart. And this is what Jesus described in the parable of the sower, those different soils responding in different ways to the truth of the gospel. Well, there are simple ones, and they may be the ones that are young, ones that are just ignorant and untrained, but it seems here they're the ones that are simple and they love being simple, right? No, 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 I I, I can't handle that right now. I, I don't need to hear that right now, and they're not open to learning. Proverbs are all about people with a learner spirit, people who want to gain wisdom and learn, not the scoffers who delight in their scoffing or the fools who hate knowledge. What are the results? We talked about this reaping and sowing, this sowing and what grows. Well, what's going to grow when you fail to listen to wisdom's cry? Verses 24 to 32, we see when they refuse to listen and they ignore the counsel and their reproof. Verse 26, I will laugh at your calamity. Verse 27, distress and anguish are going to come upon you. Verse 28, I will not answer. You'll look, but you won't find me. And verse 31, therefore they'll eat the fruit of their way, and they shall have their fill of their own devices. You're just going to reap what you sow. Um, That's a New Testament principle, an Old Testament principle that as you live, you're going to reap back the way that you live. But what happens when you listen to wisdom's cry? It's kind of bookends at either end in verse 23 and 33. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. That, that's what you can expect if you listen to and heed the cry of wisdom. And then verse 33, whoever listens to me, to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. Does that entice you to want to learn more? Does that entice you to want to be the one who hears the cry of wisdom? I could use a little ease in my life. I could use a little security in my life because things are topsy-turvy. Things are don't seem settled for me. I hope that we've Wedded our appetites to the book of Proverbs that we've found good reasons for why to learn Proverbs and that you're getting a handle on the fear of the Lord as that beginning or foundation for how to live out the Proverbs. Practical advice for friendships and how we should carry on relationships, avoid the bad company. And this first chapter really pleads with us. Listen to wisdom's cry. The rest of the book is... You're going to hear wisdom. So let me give you two practical challenges this year. I want you to commit as we begin a new sermon series, a new decade. Read a proverb a day for the month of January. You know how that's going to work out? 31 days, 31 chapters. You'll get through it. As you approach reading your chapter for the day, I want you to pray James 1. For those who lack wisdom... Lord, I lack wisdom. I ask in faith without doubting for wisdom from Proverbs, because you promise to give generously to all without reproach. That's what he says he will do in the book of Proverbs or in the Book of James. So then look out for what God's going to speak to you about as you read your chapter in the book of Proverbs. Always grounded in the fear of the Lord. What are you learning for living a life that would honor Christ? Second, grow in your fear of the Lord. Spend time meditating on those encounters between God and His people, whether it's Moses or Jacob or Abraham, whether it's the flood or creation, whether it's the transfiguration of Jesus or, or miracles that He does. Spend some time growing in the fear of the Lord so that you can apply your heart to wisdom. And as you learn to fear the Lord Jesus, you'll be in the right place to hear and receive and put into practice ancient wisdom in modern times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh, we thank You.